everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Loudwire Podcast. My name's Graham. Oh, Joe's not here. Joe is actually at a music festival. He's gallivanting around, and Joe has left me forever alone. Well, not forever. He'll be back next time. But today, keeping me company is the legendary Mike Portnoy. He came in to do this podcast literally right after he had murdered that Pokemon drum kit, which I hope you've seen by now, but that thing absolutely exploded. I was right behind the camera watching the entire time. It almost blew up. I feel like I got a you know, Bulbasaur. Pokeballs in my face. Now, the Rocker versus Rider topic. One that Mike didn't even want me to tell him about before we started this thing. He was telling me about how he loved... Uh, these little segments on that metal show where they would get to argue about stuff. So I told him about Rocker vs. Writer. He's like, don't even tell me what the subject is going to be because I just want to do this off the cuff. I said, no problem. And I picked one that I figured was going to be very personal for him as a drummer. And that is drum solos and basically other instrumental solos during gigs. Should they happen? He took the pro. I took the con. You'll hear that coming right up. Mike Portnoy is here, ladies and gentlemen. This is honestly one of my favorite podcasts we've done to date. I know we're still a baby podcast. We're still in our infancy. But please enjoy while we sit down and shout. Hey everyone, Loudwire Podcast here, and we are with Mr. Mike Portnoy, the Hello Kitty drum kit killer, and now... That's my claim to fame now. I know. (laughs) Happy to help you out. And then, now, the Pokemon drum kit killer. Well, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, just following trends, and Pokemon now is, is... Pokemon Go, whatever it's called, is so popular, I I had to jump on the bandwagon. Exactly. But let me tell you something. I've won 30 Modern Drummer Awards, been on the cover of the magazine four times, and I'm in their Hall of Fame. But all of that is completely irrelevant because I will now forever be the Hello Kitty guy, (laughs) thanks to you guys. All of my career accomplishments are completely irrelevant at this point. It's all about that freaking video. I know, and you were telling me that People now at shows are getting you to sign just Hello Kitty yeah. merch. Uh-huh. Just anything that has Hello Kitty on it, they're having I've you gotten sign. some good gifts, too. Like, uh, Ooh. in Japan, I got, like, uh, Hello Kitty sh- Kiss shirts. It's oh, like uh, all the Kiss characters, but in Hello Kitty style. So, so some good cool. has come from this. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, so the reason that you're actually in the city today, we got to... Uh, hang out with you a little bit is uh you're helping your daughter move into college that is true that's right yeah is this the the first kid who's going to college of yours yeah my daughter melody she's 19 this is actually her second year of college her first year of college she did up in pennsylvania gotcha and now she's going to new york film academy and she's moving in today so i'm i'm jealous i've always wanted to live in new york city my whole life i'm gonna be 50 years old and Mm -hmm. and yet my 19 did i say 17 she's 19 maybe i said 19 anyway you said 19 yeah but my 19 year old daughter is moving into new york before i did so i'm a little jealous that's pretty awesome what's it like that first that first kid going off to college well last year 
she was real close to home. So she would come home on the weekends or we could go over there and see her for, for dinner or any time of sure. the week. So it wasn't that rough for me and my wife, but this is this year it's going to be, we're going to really feel. You got to drive a few hours. Now, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're t- like an hour and a half, two hours to New York. So yeah, we're going to feel it. It's going to be sad, oh. you know, like, uh, at, but my son is still home. My, my son, Max is 17 and mm-hmm. he's a drummer. Uh, he's, he's a great drummer actually. And he's got his own band and they're, they're actually doing a lot of touring and stuff. So, uh, you know, my What's wife, his band called? they're called next to none. Okay. And, uh, they, they have one album out already. They're working on their second album now. And they're like, uh, they're kind of like Slipknot and Lamb of God with like the technical shred of like dream theater. So it's, okay. it's like kind of proggy, but super like, you Groove. know, like, well, no, super technical and heavy, like screamo vocals. They're kind of yeah. like prog core. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think they're inventing their own genre, prog core. Cool, good for them. No college for him, you think? No, or? he's he's definitely all he's he's all, all into about, touring and yeah, stuff. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, when I he's already got his record, his first record deal. You know, when I went to Damn, when I right. was uh, you know at Berkeley and we formed Dream Theater. Uh, you know, we stayed in college until we got our first record deal a yeah. few years later. But Max is, uh, you know, he got his first record deal at sixteen and. So they're up and running. So he he's been cyber schooled. Like uh, you know, he does all his. He's still going to graduate high school, but he does it all with like online schooling. Sure. Is it safe to say that if you'd gotten the deal earlier, no college for you? Fuck no, man. I would, can I? Say, <laughs> you can, can say you whatever okay. you want. Yeah, you can. Say no, I, I mean to me, look, I I loved going to Berkeley, and I have nothing but great things to say about that experience. Of course. But to me, the best thing I got out of it was meeting the guys that I formed my band with and yeah. you know and from there we began our career. So if that had happened in high school, you know, mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And so right now you're with Twisted Sister doing these final shows of the final tour manning AJ Perro's spot. I mean, again, as we talked about earlier, one of the best live bands ever. And you just talked to me about having to go on after Iron Maiden in Europe yeah. at a festival. Can you please tell me what that's like to know you're going to be going on after Iron Maiden, probably the first band to go on after Iron Maiden in a decade. There's so. not many bands that could go on stage after Maiden. And Slayer, too. We did many festivals going on after Slayer, too. And those are two bands you can't follow. You know, there's it's very tough. few bands that could follow. And and Twisted Sister is one of those bands. You know, yeah. and I... And I'm not saying that because I play with them now. I've I've always said that you know D is one of the greatest frontmen of all time. Always was and still is and always will be. And yeah, it's it's pretty weird to be like in the dressing room warming up and you're hearing like Run to the Hills and the Number of the Beast oh, playing. And it's like wow. we uh, they finished their set and I texted Nico. I was like, <laughs> thanks for warming them up for me, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. yeah, I mean. You know that Twisted is uh, is one of those bands that can you know can close the show and 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 is completely commanding of that of of any audience that's put in front of them, and uh, yeah, the shows I've been doing with them has been uh, each and every one of them have been some some of the most incredible career memories for me. You know, it, the shows have been huge. I mean, over in Europe, we were talking about this off air before, but like, you know, like big shows here in America are like 10 or 20,000 people. Yeah, those big fests. shows in Europe are 80, 90, 100,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, you know, 
five, ten times the size of the festivals here in America. So they're massive. And Twisted over there, they get that recognition and the respect. You know, they, they honestly, especially if I'm especially over there, yeah, absolutely. If I'm being honest, here in America, I think most people, unless you live in New York, most people in America don't get it. They they look at Twisted Sister as hmm. these two hit wonders from the '80s and probably lump them in with. Quiet Riot and Rat and things like yeah. that. I think there's a lot of people in America that don't get the true legacy of Twisted. I think maybe now that they put out that movie, We Are Twisted Fucking Sister, great, maybe great movie. Oh, it's amazing. amazing. And I think I think that's helping a lot of people, especially here in America, realize. You know, they they've been doing this for 40 years. They started in the in the early 70s and. And they had a ten-year career before they band. before they even got signed. Yeah, it's, so it's nuts. they they recognize that in Europe. I mean, here in the tri-state area, you know, if you grew up with them, you get it. Yeah. But in Europe, they get it, and that's been really awesome touring with them over there and headlining these festivals like Grass Pop and Hellfest and all these massive, massive festivals. And you know, they're headlining on the, you know Saturday night with Black Sabbath or or Iron yeah. Maiden headlining you know playing on the other nights so it's it's pretty awesome to be with them for this this final lap and and I I hate to see them ending cuz they're like you know they're as as big as ever you know they're playing the biggest shows of their careers right now so, and you know they they have the the documentary which is a huge hit on Netflix and we just put out a live DVD, uh, Metal Meltdown, which came in the Billboard charts at number one. So the band is, Whoa, okay. like, yeah. you know, doing as as well as they were in the 80s, if not bigger and better. So it's it's a shame for me to see it end, you know, coming on board right on the, you know, the home stretch. Yeah, and that is interesting being, you know, growing up like a New York kid, knowing Twisted Sister... And now your name is like forever going to be etched in a very, you know, a small part right. of the legacy, but a part of that legacy. Yeah. Indeed. It's, in, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. There's a picture in my high school yearbook of me where, and I'm wearing a Twisted Sister shirt in my high school yearbook. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, did it's, you show D and the guys I did, that? Yeah. Oh man. I'm the new guy, but I'm the only guy in the band with with twisted ink. Oh, there. Yep. I oh, got a yeah. twisted tattoo uh, a right few weeks down ago. near your foot. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, D was D uh, texted me right after I got that, and he's like, "I can't believe the new guy is the only guy with ink." And they were all talking about maybe getting him too. So really, yeah. So we'll see. So that, that might happen at in their sixties. They might yeah. get their first tattoos. Well, actually, D's <laughs> D's got ink, and J I think JJ's got uh, he's got a few tats. But okay. he's got some ink, yeah. Gotcha. But none of them have twisted tattoos. No. I think it would be a great way to commemorate this this final run and, uh, and a, an amazing career that they've had that I'm honored to be a part of. For sure. Uh, another part of your career that's going to be a first is the 12-step suite. We're finally going to be able to hear it live, or at least the people on a cruise uh, for your 50th birthday, no less. And you have... Had a, You have put out sort of an open invitation for any of the guys from Dream Theater to come and be a part of it. Has that been more of like a passive invitation or have you actually reached out to any of the guys personally? Um, I uh, I did specifically email uh, two of the members. I don't want to name them. I don't want to point fingers and have people say, well, this sure. person, this that person. But I, I did specifically email two of the guys in the band that, I, that I'm still friends with and on good speaking terms with. Okay. And, uh, you know, when, before any of this went public, uh, the idea of this 50th birthday concert and the 12 step suite being performed, uh, before any of that was announced, I, I, um, I, I 
emailed a couple of the guys and, and extended an invitation to join me on the cruise. First and foremost, to join me for my 50th birthday. You yeah. know, I, I spent 25 years of my life with these guys and they're, you know, dear, dear friends and brothers of mine, you know, even though we're, we're not in a band together anymore, I still, you know, hold all those years in, in, in incredible sentimental, you know, regard. And uh, so anyway, I, I uh, you know, emailed a couple of guys and said, look, I would love for you guys to be a part of this celebration forget about the concert you know it was yeah. like just to be there and i extended the invite to them and their families and would take care of their accommodations and um and said look i'm also as part of this concert i'm doing a career retrospective concert and of course i have to play some dream theater material with mm -hmm. you know some sort of career retrospective so of course i have to have dream theater material represented and i wanted to give them the heads up and say look i would love to be performing it with you guys first and foremost. And I want to give you first crack at uh, joining me for this material and being there from my birthday celebration. In any case, they uh, politely declined. And mm -hmm. uh, I think they're just still a little uncomfortable with, uh, you know, the idea of any kind of quote unquote reunion, you know, yeah. and I think, and I, I get that. I, I could see where for them, um, it could be misinterpreted. You know, they're spending, they've spent the last six years trying to really establish themselves without me. And uh, I could see how any kind of performance with me, especially of this material could be misinterpreted. Uh, so I get it. And I, and I honestly don't hold a grudge towards them uh, for, for declining the invitation. But that being said, I, I want to play these songs, you know, it's, yeah. it's an important uh, thing that uh, for me on an emotional level and a, and a personal level, you know, when I wrote these songs about my recovery from alcoholism and never got to perform them live. And, you know, yeah. I wish it was with dream theater. I wish it was with those guys, but it's just it here in 2016, 2017. It's just, you know, it's not in the cards for, for where they're at. And, and I get that. So, uh, you know, I onward and upward, and I'll be playing these songs with, uh, and an amazing group of musicians and other uh, all-star people in the prog world, other name guys from the prog world uh, that are put together to, to play this stuff with me. So it, it'll be awesome. And once word got out that I was going to do this at my 50th birthday concert, suddenly now I started getting invitations from all these other festivals and things like that. Do the 12 steps. We yeah. Well, festivals. I mean, once word got out, the fans were like, you know, they wanted to see this and, uh, not every kid on the block can afford a, a you know a thousand two thousand dollar cruise. Sure. So uh, you know there's a, there's been a lot of requ requests from different festivals around the world for me to do it. So we just actually announced I'm going to do it at Prague Power next year in Atlanta. Oh, all right. So that's uh, next September, and there's going to be a handful of other select uh, performances of this. You know, I, I figured Damn. while I'm doing it. While, I mean, the main thing for me was to do it at my 50th birthday show mm -hmm. and it would, you know, it made sense. The time was right. Uh, but I figured if I'm going to be up and running and rehearsed with a group of guys and musicians and there's people that want to hear this that can't necessarily make the cruise, then look, you know, why not do a, a handful of them throughout the world in some select markets? And uh, I, I don't want people to think I'm, this is any kind of... Uh, 
new band or a new project or a career move. Sure. I don't want to be misinterpreted by uh, all the blabbermouth idiots that are going to be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I knew he couldn't let go of Dream Theater. He's got to cash in on Dream Theater. No. Well, this I is have... something you've never been able to do before. Exactly. You know? And look, I've proven that the last six years, <laughs> I have a million other bands. I'm in <laughs> yeah. 48 bands at the moment. Oh, just, just Avenged and Twisted and Winery Dogs. And just... Yeah, Metal <laughs> Allegiance and yeah. Transatlantic and Flying Colors, Adrenaline Mob, you know. I've proven that I, I, I have no uh, desire or need to be playing Dream Theater material for a career move. Yeah. But if I want to do this and I want to do some select performances of music that I was a part of the writing of and it was a huge part of my personal, you know, uh, outlet, uh, I think I'm entitled to it. You know, if I want to yeah. do it, I think that's, you know, when not to, put, not to compare myself to Roger Waters, but Roger Waters is out there the last 30 years playing Pink Floyd songs yeah. that he wrote. And it's not like it's a Pink Floyd cover band. It's Roger Waters playing his music with his band, you know, under his own own solo, uh, you know, yeah. uh, billing or whatever. So it's really no different if I want to play these songs. But I, you know, I'm doing it for fun and it's a one-off thing and it's not like I'm making a career move out of playing this material. It's just a one-time thing. Yeah, that's the thing, is the 12-step suite is really your thing. I mean, that's that's most identified with you, and, you know, as you're saying, of the story behind it and what it means to you. So it's not like you're just like, here's the hits, everybody. Right. No, it's something extremely personal, and it's something right. that is absolutely yours. I think most people get that. I'm glad you get it. But, of course, there's going to inevitably be assholes that, of course that, there that is. <laughs> diss me for it. But... But you, it, you're right. It, it is a very, it was a very, very personal thing for me. Not only the lyrics, but the the whole idea and the concept behind it, and the interconnecting songs and the themes and all that. It was all, look, it was my idea, <laughs> plain and yeah. simple. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm I'm happy to finally get to do it. I'm I'm excited for for people who've been wanting to see that forever will yeah. now finally get to check that out. Is that what Shattered Fortress is going to yeah, be? Yeah, exactly. Shattered Fortress. Okay. I mean, it needed a name, so that's what we're calling it. It's gonna be Mike Portnoy's Shattered Fortress. You know, in the places that we perform this. Okay, so Shattered Fortress is like the event title exactly. of it. Exactly. That's okay. the thing. It's not a band. It's not my new band. It's not a project. It's just it's an event. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Uh, and I know that you just went and saw Avenged Sevenfold. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday. Mm -hmm. So you got to go see them play with Brooks Wackerman, yeah. a guy who I'm a huge, huge fan oh, of. Oh, he's awesome. I'm a huge Bad Religion fan, and he was so important in, in getting Bad Religion through their modern renaissance of music. When, when he joined, they just had album after album of perfect punk rock, and I'm a punk kid at heart. Mm -hmm. So I have it. Deep, deep love for Brooks Wackerman, uh, although I was sad to see him go from Bad Religion. But, man, that's one thing, though, is a lot of people didn't really get to see his chops right. with Bad Religion because he's playing D-beats and, you mm -hmm. know, punk rock stuff. What do you think of Brooks? How was he at the show? He's awesome. I've always loved his playing. Uh, I, I was never a Bad Religion fan, to be honest with you. So, But I know his stuff from, like, uh, the Infectious Grooves albums. Yep. And uh, he actually did an album last year that was one of my favorites last year. It's a band called Pharmacos. It was Joe Brown. Uh, no, Joe Holmes. Excuse oh, me. Yeah. Joe Holmes that played with Ozzy. Sure. Uh, Brooks on drums, Robert Trujillo on bass. And okay, it's Rob's an back. Awesome album called Pharmacos. And uh, his playing on that is awesome. And, I've, you know, 
Brooks has been, he's played with Korn, you know, he's a session guy. Oh, he right. played on the, yeah. the Untitled album, yeah, I think. So he's done, he's played on so many albums and so many, you know, different things through the years. So I've always had a tremendous respect for his, his chops and his ability and his technique. And uh, he's fitting right in with those guys. It was really cool to see last night. I spent some time with the guys and, and spent some time with Brooks and he fits right in. You know, he's definitely from the same world as those guys, you know, hmm. California, Canada, same age That's group. True. and. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Avenged, they started out more hardcore and punk rock, you know, and they That's even true. last night they played some stuff from the Wake and the Fallen album. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it was all the super fast, upbeat stuff. And, mm. and you know, it was right up Brooks Alley. So I, I, I hope they kind of utilize him and go in that direction with their new album. I, I have no idea what they have planned for their new album. We didn't talk about it when I hung with them last night. But, uh, but uh, you know, I hope that they let him do his thing and don't hold him back at all and... Uh, it was great to see the guys, you know, it was, it was cool to see Brooks playing, you know, all of, uh, my drum parts from the nightmare album. And yeah. well, I guess I don't want to say my, my parts, they were kind of a hybrid between my parts and, uh, the revs parts as well. So, yeah. and, but anyway, uh, I wish them all, all the best and I'm happy that, that he's with them. I think he's a, a great choice. Brooks is really awesome. I can kind of see what you mean. I, I've met him before and interviewed him and he's just such like, he seems like a very easy going guy just to get along with and like just as you're saying like that california just chill yeah awesome, totally cool guy can, totally he's a he's awesome i love love brooks wackerman so let's get into some rocker versus writer so here's the topic that i want to do i want to do solos during concerts. Okay. So, as a man who I think I will be taking the uh, don't like the solos <laughs> at the shows at point, but I will say, first of all, justifiably, I've always liked your drum solos oh, you. when you've done them, and that's what I'll consider. See, but here's time. here's the, the twist. You're assuming that I'm pro drum solos. I... I Whoa. Oh, do you want to take the anti? I can take the pro. I will I will take the pro. Okay. But I will tell you, I'm not the biggest fan and supporter of drum solos. Wow, okay. I, I actually stopped doing them uh maybe about ten years ago or so because uh honestly well I'll uh, I'll, no, I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'll debate well I, I've I get bored watching drummers just play, you know? I mean, there's certain drummers that, of course, I could watch play for hours. Yeah. You know, John Bonham, of course. You know, the Moby Dick drum solo was just oh. incredible. Sure. Uh, you know, the first few times I saw Rush, you know, seeing Neil Peart play his drum solo was like... Neil Peart's the one was, guy who can... That was like, you know... Yeah. Ev ev the showstopper, you know, and, and, the, and the, the moment that everybody remembered. So there are certain people that can do it and they do it well. I But... Here's the thing for me. When I see a drummer play a solo, I don't want to see it, them just with all this flash and technique and chops. To me, it's boring. It's like okay. it's watching somebody masturbate, yeah. you know? And uh, and I, I've always liked drummers that actually, if they're going to do a solo, do something fun and entertaining with it. Sure. Like, I'm a huge fan of Tommy Lee's drum solos. I think oh, Tommy yeah. Lee... You can't know, argue against a that fucking roller coaster running through the entire arena i mean come on that is entertainment at at the highest level and yeah. he took it to a a whole new level and 
that's that's kind of where where I was at in the end when I was doing drum solos. The last couple of Dream Theater tours that I did solos on uh, around 2003, 2004, it, it no longer was fun just playing. So I actually turned it into an entertaining thing. I would actually come out front with a little with a little drum and I would mm-hmm. look for the people in the first row that were playing air drums, you know, throughout the show. And I would go up to them with this single Tom and hand them a pair of sticks and jam with them. And then whoever was like the best drummer of the guys that I jammed with in the front, then I would pull them up on stage and pull them behind the kit with me to play with me behind the kit. Wow. Yeah. So to me, that was, it wasn't about, showing off and how great I am and the chops I have and the technique. No, it was a form of entertainment. It was using those five or 10 minutes that we're not using to playing songs and actually creating some sense of entertainment value and interaction, interaction with the audience. For sure. So I I may have just buzz killed your whole argument. No, no, this is the talk. This is the, it doesn't have to be like, we don't have to be at each other's throats, but no, this is the talk. So for me, I I generally hate it when drummers, guitarists, you know, you know what I really hate? I really hate when like Gene Simmons does his bass solo. Right. When he just kind of like smashes his bass with his fists for like a, and then like, flies around and spits blood and that's the well, bass solo. See, that's pretty cool. Well, that's the ent- that's, I like the, that. that's the entertainment value that's, that I'm talking about. That's kind of the reason he does the bass solo. Right. But he does it for like four minutes and it's kind of like clunk 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 and when a drum solo goes for like five minutes Mm -hmm. say and it's just the guy behind the kid i think i'm sort of in the majority where i'm like i would rather hear another song totally i want to hear another song i don't want to hear just like the you know especially if it's a guy who's just kind of doing rudimentary stuff and Mm -hmm. just going like faster and then slower and then get the audience go hey and yeah see i hate that too like i hate i hate like the crowd participation like chanty right well because those are all cliches those are all drum solo cliches i think yeah and you could actually take seven out of ten drummers and their drum solos are going to be made up of all of those those drum solo cliches yeah i agree with you i i and i i agree that i i think it's what better spent for those five minutes to play another song, you know? And yeah. and that's kind of where I, I kind of got to with that after a while. Like, uh, you actually can see uh, the Dream Theater Live at Budokan DVD on the bonus footage. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a curfew, and we were filming a DVD, and I chose to not do a drum solo because I'd rather have another song or two in the set list for the fans. And and uh, and I, I don't know. I think I'm just maybe it's that stage in my life and my career that I, I that's why I stopped doing drum clinics as well. I used to do hundreds oh, okay. of clinics in the '90s, and I kind of just got bored with it. It's like mm. now, if I'm going to do something extracurricular, I'd rather spend that time maybe you know playing with another band, you know, doing a session or doing filling in with a band for a tour. I'd rather spend my time playing with other musicians. I think that's what the beauty of music is. Yeah. Um, I'm not impressed with uh, some of these drum technicians, and I'm not going to name names, but these guys that are technically unbelievable. Sure, you know, what they're doing is is incredible. But, you know, like, what are you going to do with that? You know, like, where what's the... what? How, how do you use that in the context of a song or a band? Yeah, it's about imagination in the end, I think. Yeah. Rather than just playing as fast as you can. But there's, I mean, look, there are people that I, that I... Like I happen to be in a band with 
somebody that is one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest bass players of all time. Oh, Billy Sheehan. Yeah. See, I can, I could watch Billy Sheehan do a solo exactly. any day. That's, totally. he's one of those guys. And I think when you see the Winery Dogs or Mr. Big or anybody that Billy's playing with, I think the bass solo is one of the highlights of the night. And I, every single night that he's playing his bass solo, which happens to be different every night as well, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting over on the, on the, on the side of the stage. I watch him each and every night. And there are certain people that, that, that are entertaining and also musical with what they do. So yeah. there are exceptions, you know? Yeah, that's that's the thing is you do have to be like a certain kind of player, certain kind of figure in, in like the rock world to be able to really pull that off. And right. again, imagination. Like for me, uh, of course, the guy you're friends with, Alex Skolnick. I could hear Alex Skolnick play an hour-long mm-hmm. guitar solo during a set and I would not complain about it. You know, he's just so excellent and so different and right. so passionate so i i'd love to do that i would love to hear that so i wouldn't complain about that there are people i mean randy rhodes i mean I used oh, to l- no listen. one could complain yeah. about that i mean he was awesome or or uh you know Dimebag or or oh, eddie, yeah. even eddie van true. halen in his prime i mean you know those guys you could listen to them play for hours and it's yeah. amazing eddie van halen has he's had a couple bomb solo things and it is time but um there's one one thing that I, I didn't really like, like the uh, the Black Sabbath current farewell tour. Mm-hmm. And Tommy Clufados is a great anchor for that band. He plays stiff and heavy and like exactly what you want, like those gargantuan footsteps, you know, to, to compliment Tony and Geezer and Ozzy. And he, he does a great job. But I don't want to see a Tommy Clufados five-minute drum solo does he do he does a solo with them yeah and uh you know that's i don't want to see that you know if bill ward was there i'll take it i'll take it but i mean black sabbath has just this litany of material just i mean like the first eight albums pick anything off the first eight albums and you know even a lot of stuff past that better time spent at you know show that you pay you know a hundred whatever dollars for i gotta tell you the same when i started playing with twisted last year they uh they asked me if i wanted to do a drum solo and i was like no you know (laughs) a i think that would be disrespectful to aj because i was coming in to you know kind of uh you know respect him and pay tribute to him so i thought that would be disrespectful to to, to do that and step on his toes or take away from the his attention. But B, it was like, yeah, I would rather hear, you know, Under the Blade in the, for those five minutes or yeah. hear, you know, uh, Destroyer or something cool, you know. So I, I uh, politely uh, and respectfully declined the invitation for a drum solo with yeah. them. I'm glad because I think that probably would have rubbed fans the wrong way. Yeah, totally. You know, and I don't think AJ ever played... Well, he did actually. Did he play solo? Yeah. In fact, okay. if you see the Metal Meltdown uh, DVD, there was a part in the show uh, last summer, all the shows we did, where uh, in Burn in Hell, actually, where AJ used Ooh. to do his solo, we fade away and they showed a video of one of AJ's solo. Wow. In, uh, you know, on the screens. And then we come back in to finish the song. Wow. What yeah. a beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was, I think that was awesome because we were honoring him and paying tribute to him so in, yeah. you know in that case it was it was uh you know i think that's awesome yeah for that's sure. really awesome and um i think i'm trying to think of like who i would like to see do some sort of vocal solo because <laughs> <laughs> because there are some 
there's some uh king diamond oh yeah like just him do, or rob halford yeah him doing that but then there are you know there are some singers who you know they'll take uh you know a, a bit of the spotlight to talk to the crowd and that's not right. really a solo but i've seen some singers like uh i i don't know like i remember uh I was at a festival and Five Finger Death Punch was playing, and you know, you uh, Ivan was like kind of acapelloing, acapellaing with the fans, mm-hmm. and it's like a call and response thing, and that's cool. And I would have to talk to them, like the fans, to see if they were into it. But for me, it's just like eh. I think most singers, the entire show is their solo. You I know, know they're, they're like, front men. And what they, more do you need, singer? Exactly. But I've seen there are guys that I could just watch. Fit, watch their rants between the songs like when i see rants, Opeth, that's, like, that's like a, michael Arkefeld, oh, i love his i and, love his band yeah and uh devin that. townsend as well De- oh we so, just had devin here he's the greatest so like when i see devin or i see opeth like i actually can't wait till the in-between spots to hear what they're gonna say i agree and it's great <laughs> because guys like that are completely spontaneous you know they're not you know they're not saying the same shit or the same banter each and every day they're they're flying off the cuff and and reacting to the moment and and i love their in-between stuff and and not to keep coming back to twisted sister but d, but d as well yeah i mean this is the only band i've ever played with that like uh like i get five minute breaks between songs yeah. you know normally i'm like desperate to try to get a sip of water in between songs with most bands i play with in this case i could you know go have a uh, go drink a few few bottles of Gatorade in the time that D's like you know talking to the audience, yeah. and, and each and every night he's you know doing different stuff as well. So it's always entertaining. Yeah. One thing that I you know this I may like completely like lose the side of any fans that are like on my side of the argument right now, but I personally I hate the Jimmy Page uh, violin bow uh, guitar thing. Oh, that was pretty awesome. I hate that. Really? I've ne- I've had never got to see Zeppelin live obviously, but Well, the thing, that's the I think he needed to be on acid in the audience in 1973 to really fully appreciate it. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, I I can't argue that, but I did a Zeppelin tribute with Paul Gilbert uh years ago, Hammer of the Gods, and Paul did the entire violin bow thing like yeah like exact you know mm-hmm. he nailed the whole jimmy page thing with the violin bow and uh the dazed and confused extended jam and middle mm-hmm. section and i don't know man i i i think that's cool as shit yeah i mean i'm i will agree i agree i'm probably in the minority there but i just like uh, i just can't stand that like if i kind of want to see jimmy i would like to see a jimmy page solo but him to do like maybe some more like weird bluesy stuff well the thing with zaplin is they they did so much jamming. Like, no Zeppelin show was the same. You know, no version of Dazed and Confused is the same. You know, some of them are 20 minutes, some of them are 40 minutes, and everything that was going on in the middle was, you know, off the cuff. And and same with the whole band. You even listen to Robert Plant's melodies, the way he sings the melodies mm-hmm. yeah. live. He's changing them every, every night and from moment to moment and night to night. And that was one of the greatest things about Zeppelin that I think is underappreciated. I think they were an incredible live band because of that. And, you know, every every one of them from night to night were doing different things. And and Deep Purple was the same. Like, if you listen Absolutely to the Made in Japan Purple. album, yep. those guys are jamming, you know. And I love bands that, that do that, that they stray from the studio versions and they're actually jamming. And each and every night, you don't know what's going to come out. And, and I think that's yeah. 
That separates the men from the boys. I actually really associate the old jammy bands to like the golden age of what rock and roll was. Absolutely. Like when you have a band like Zeppelin or Purple or, or Hend- Hendrix. I was just or about Cream. to say Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. I mean, he had so many amazing jams. My favorite one, uh, Killing Floor. He mm-hmm. did a great like. I mean, you know that that song is amazing as it is. But I always listen to like the eight minute version from right. I, I think Live at Winterland. So. I think that's like when it comes to spreading off and doing something like that. Instead of doing a solo, let's totally. do a jam. Let's totally. do a jam. That's one. Of, that's There's very really few great. bands that do that these days. You know, you have the jam it's bands. True. You have the bands like Fish and Humphreys McGee and stuff like that. But yeah. like, I don't think we're talking about that. I think no, we're talking no. about bands that are just straight up rock bands or metal bands that mm-hmm. actually just like get up there and just fly in the edge of their pants. And I, I miss that. I think we try to do a little of that with the winery dogs. I think the winery dogs are mm. trying to bring that spirit back. Uh, like I know the way Billy and I play in the winery dogs is very similar to the way Keith Moon and John Entwistle played in mm. the who, where like when you listen to like live at Leeds, yes. basically Keith and John are all over the place. Just, and, and the guitar and vocals like Roger and Pete are the anchor you know, and it's very much like that in the winery dogs. Me and Billy are all are just completely going off the entire time. And Richie is kind totally. of the anchor. So we're, you know, we, we're trying to bring some of that spirit back into, you know, a little bit of today's music. And there, there are some cool bands out there doing it, but it's fewer and fewer. It's not like it was in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, that's true. I, I honestly can't think of the last time I saw an impromptu jam on stage yeah. from a from a band like especially from a big band because everything is so choreographed everything is like man you wouldn't believe how many bands these days are playing to tracks and playing to click tracks and everything is yeah is is very literally true. you know coming off of their computer you know and and mm-hmm. the light show and the video show and the music and everything is coming off a computer and obviously once you do that there's no room for for straying no as to, as opposed to Purple, who walked on the stage and started playing. Totally. And that's all they had Well, to the do. Winery Dogs do that. Thank God for that. In fact, all the bands I play with, I, I don't use a click with any of them. I'm, I'm, that's cool. Yeah, I'm just not into that. Yeah. I did use it with Avenged Sevenfold when I was with those guys, uh, mainly because they had uh, the Revs vocals pre-recorded mm. and they had some string parts oh, and keyboard see, that's parts. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, in that case, you know, th- that's the reason for it. It wasn't like they were, you know, trying to be... Perfect. I, 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 I'm not a fan of perfection. You know, to me, mm-hmm. leave the perfection in the studio when you're making the record. I think when you're getting on stage, it's it's about interacting. It's about feeling the moment. It's about feeling the audience, connecting with an audience. And I think it's fine to sometimes be a little fast, sometimes be a little slow, and, yeah, and totally. you know, give and take and push and pull. And that's what makes us human. That's what makes a band a band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we can agree that. Let's bring back the jams, maybe taper off on the soloing a little yeah. bit, unless you are like a real, uh, like a real figure. A unique voice. Uh, yeah, a unique voice or bassist or guitarist. Yeah, or I, like I would want to watch Cliff Burton play bass for, for, for 30 minutes. I, you know, that would, you, you didn't like his solos? I, I do. I wouldn't want to see him play for 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, there's few, there's, here's the thing. We're going to get off on a side, side tangent here, but where are... The Cliff Burtons of today, you know, there were mm. you have Geezer Butler, Cliff Burton, uh, Billy Sheehan. I put in that same category guys that are groundbreaking bass players that played the bass like a lead instrument. Mm. And since 
Geezer and Billy and Cliff. Steve uh, Harris. Steve Harris. Hmm. But where have they been since then? You know, Cliff was 30 years ago. You know, Billy came around 30, 40 years ago. Like, where are the guys that play bass like a lead instrument these Even days? Even like Lemmy, he did that too. Yeah, totally. Lemmy's in that same category. Absolutely. But there are no bass players today that play the bass like a lead instrument. Oh man, that's interesting. Even yeah. like um even like the new proggy bands. There's more they're still kind of dancing around yeah. the main thing. And that's great. I maybe maybe less Claypool, but even he came yeah. around twenty five years ago. You know, like I, I I'm mm. I'm itching for a new Cliff Burton, you know? Uh maybe uh, you know, again like Flea, he yeah, does it. Like but- 30 years ago. 30 years. You're right. <laughs> that that kind of rock is kind of is gone by the wayside, hasn't it? Along with the jam bands. Like, I, I want to see a bass player up there with a fucking Rickenbacker through a Wawa. Especially a Rickenbacker. Through a Wawa and a <laughs> yeah. distortion pedal, you know? Mm. Like Lemmy or Cliff Burton. You know, it's just, they don't exist anymore. Man. We need a new crop of them. That's a good question. Yeah, that that is a good one. Where the bass is like the lead the lead of the band, you know, the lead sound of the, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Cliff was the, you know, w- was one of the driving forces of Metallica on those early albums. Was. Absolutely. You was. know, and that's, you know, not, th- it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And writing one of the best riffs period ever. And, you know, like, like from the belt holes, like, you know, that was all him. That was all him. Or Steve Harris. Steve Harris, when him playing triplets is like the greatest thing in the world. And, Especially on a, a song like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, where he'll take it and just completely hold down the entire band, even though there are three other guitarists on stage. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so, all right. So that's that's the Rocker versus Writer segment. There you go. Uh, let us know what you think. Tell us who you think should start playing bass more like a guitarist yeah. and who you want to see uh, maybe do a little less soloing, maybe a little more soloing in the comment section below. Uh, so the winery dogs, I want to know what plans you guys have got in the future. Last year, uh, we got the latest record, a uh, hot streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the deal? I know you guys have all been busy. We, uh, well, we, we pretty much were on the road for about a year straight the last year. Uh, I guess the album came out, I think it was last September. So it's a year ago now. It was almost exactly a year yeah, ago. Yeah. And we, uh, we did a you know, two or three rounds through the States and we did a couple of rounds through Europe and we went to South America and we went to Japan. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty extensive tour throughout the globe. And, uh, we're pretty much winding down the cycle now. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a couple more appearances, uh, a few weeks from now on the monsters of rock cruise. And that pretty much winds up the cycle for us. And at that point, um, I'm going to go off to my other 87 bands and uh billy i think has some some uh one-off stuff with mr big and i know richie's gonna do uh, all the stuff with his uh solo band so i think we'll probably uh probably take a little time to each you know do our own thing and then regroup i don't know maybe next year or uh you know maybe early 2018 i i'm gonna be busy kind of in prog mode for most of 2017 of uh, course doing doing your sweet stuff i'm gonna be doing that and i have a new album uh with the neil morse band we we just uh finished honestly what i consider to be one of the greatest albums of my career to be honest with you i've done almost Damn, okay. 50 albums now and this is uh this is up there as one of the one of the greatest 
musical achievements of my career. And, uh, you know, I know, I know this is more of a hard rock metal forum and what I do with the Neil Morse band is more pure old school prog in the, in the vein mm. of Genesis and yes and Floyd and Crimson. I mean, we, we love yes and King Crimson. I mean, well, for, for, for what it's worth, this, this Neil Morse band album, it's a double concept album and it's, it's to me, Damn. it's my <laughs> wall or Tommy. Really? Yeah. So I'm very, very excited about it and proud of it. And, uh, so I'm going to probably be focused with on that band and that project for uh, at least the first half of 2017. All right. Oh, well, I'll have to keep my ears out for that one. Yeah. Uh, last question for you today. I would love to get uh, maybe your personal favorite dream theater memory. Mm-hmm. Maybe something when you just kind of look back, when you find yourself looking back at your career and you think of like one or two moments where you're like, damn, man, that was just the greatest. I mean, 25 years is a lot of memories in 25 years. Uh, God, there's so many. I mean, 25 years when you think about it, you know, put it in, put it in uh, uh, perspective. Uh, the 25 years I spent there is is two or three times the length of the Beatles' career or Zeppelin's oh. career. I'm not comparing us yeah. on a level. I'm just saying in terms of a timeline. I know that just hurts my head, though. But that's <laughs> but it's crazy when you it's think true, about 25 right? years, and there's not many bands that have done 25 years straight without yeah. breaking up or splitting off. So God, I mean, there's so many memories. If I had to pick a few, always the one that immediately comes to mind is when we played Radio City Music Hall, um, mm. sold out. Last night of the 20th anniversary tour, we we had an orchestra with us. We filmed a DVD, hometown gig, Radio City Music Hall, which is such a prestigious, beautiful, beautiful venue, too. and we yeah. always wanted to play. So that was one of those nights where just all the stars were aligned, and it it always uh, is one of the first things I think of as you know one of the greatest memories of of all those years with the band. Uh, finally playing Madison Square Garden uh, when we we yep. played with Maiden. Iron Maiden, I was at that show. And that was actually, uh, coincidentally enough, one of my last shows with the band, actually. That That's was my right. last uh, that was my last American tour with, with Dream Theater before I bailed. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finally playing Madison Square Garden was, was something we had always dreamed of and always wanted to do. And mm. finally doing it was pretty amazing. And to do it with Maiden was, was awesome. Uh, I guess maybe our first tour, you know, when Images and Words first came out in 92 and we had spent at that point, we were together for seven years already and we were just, you know, struggling for years and years and years, you know, switching singers and, mm-hmm. you know, having, you know, false starts with our record company. And we, you know, it, there was so many struggles to get to that, uh, to get to that point. Then when we finally were getting our first taste of success and, and images and words was, was doing well and selling well and pull me, pull me under was on the radio and on MTV everywhere we went. And we're finally touring and in a van and getting to play beyond just New York, you know, playing everywhere from Dallas to Chicago to Denver and Seattle and everywhere in between. And then going over to Japan and Europe for the first time, that was exciting too. You know, that was some of the greatest memories. And that's when it, that's when it was all so innocent. You know, we were in a van and, and loving it you know now yeah. you put me in a van now i'm i'm miserable <laughs> i could never do that you know i've done these these shows with like metal allegiance or adrenaline mob where you're playing to you know 100 people in a club and yeah it's hard but back then we were doing it, and it was all for the first time and 
Yeah, it wasn't about money or or anything else beyond just being in a band and playing together and the camaraderie and the the music and you know you only get to have that innocence once before you become a jaded old rock star. <laughs> so those memories of uh, of those early days are are still really fond for me. Awesome. I got to thank you so much for coming in and spending time with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for killing that Pokemon drum kit ah. for us. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm sure uh, that'll be up by the time this thing is out. But, oh, my God. It's been great to have you in. Thank you, man. Always my, my pleasure. Oh, my pleasure, too. And that's Mike Portnoy, everybody. What an awesome guest he was. Make sure you go onto YouTube and check out that Pokemon drum kit uh, murder that he did for us. It was awesome. And of course, he finished it out with some Slayer, just like last time with the Hello Kitty drum kit. And that Rocker vs. Rider segment. I had so much fun doing that one. I know I normally hang back while Joe, uh, all crazy-eyed and foaming at the mouth and whatnot, takes hold of the argument and just tries to destroy our beloved guests. But I had a great time doing it this week. For all you diehard Joe fans, I know there's a lot of you. Cheap, 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 cheap. No, he will be back next time, I promise. Make sure you head over to loudwire.com for all your daily rock and metal news. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Give us a nice thumbs up. Give us a nice comment. Head over to iTunes and hit that subscribe button so you can get every episode of the Loudwire podcast. Put it in your iPod, on your phone, carry it with you wherever you go. Rate five stars because you know that's what we deserve. Leave a nice comment there too, if you don't mind. You can follow me on Twitter. My name is Graham. I am at Graham Wire. Graham Wire. We'll see you next time. We appreciate you listening so much. Have a great one. Goodbye.